Welcome to Marrow Masters Season 9, sponsored by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and Sanofi. The National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, established in 1992, strives to help patients, caregivers, and families cope with the psychosocial challenges of bone marrow and stem cell transplant, from diagnosis through survivorship. Season 9 of our show focuses on what I wish I knew before transplant. Here's your host, Executive Director of the NBMT Link, Peggy Burkhardt. Hello, everyone. Today, we welcome Tina Masters Odom, a caregiver who has a wealth of knowledge to share with us today. Tina cared for her sweet husband, Hunter. Hello, Tina. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Peggy. I'm happy to be here today. Welcome to everyone, and I hope that this information is a benefit to you as you continue your journeys. I was privileged and honored to be a caregiver to my husband for over 12 years. His name was Hunter, and he was diagnosed with multiple myeloma in 2010. He had light chain disposition and chromosomes, 414 swap, and a 13 deletion. That really means that it was a very aggressive and difficult to treat bone marrow cancer. He underwent two stem cell transplants and one CAR T-cell transplant. All total, Hunter had about 17 lines of chemotherapy. He recently passed away, um, and so this has been a bit of a journey for me to continue with this obligation and just wanted to reach out to let so many know helpful things that I found along my way. He was a military aviator for 26 years, so he had this all-in attitude, which was very helpful for these journeys. His approach to cancer was really whatever it takes to get it done. I really just tell everybody this because it's a reference for hope and encouragement for all of you along the way. Oh, Tina, so sorry for your loss. And I have to tell you, we really appreciate you being with us here today to share your tips and your best ideas. And I just know this is going to help others on their journey. Phew. So, Tina, let's start by digging in with the pre-transplant details. Let's share details that you feel are important to note regarding the caregiver experience. Well, it's very standard for you to meet with a nurse navigator prior to your transplant. And I think it's really important for all the caregivers to find out about how you will be accommodated. You know, I had questions, which I didn't know the first time. Of course, second time, I really knew what to ask. But, you know, what are the sleeping arrangements? Can I stay overnight? Personally, I don't sleep well in a chair or a recliner. So for his first transplant, after I figured out the system, I brought in a cot and I was able to use this and also had a room with the Fisher house. So, you know, sometimes you're able to stay overnight, sometimes you're not, but you just find out what that is for you. The second transplant he had, I had to negotiate, honestly, to stay And um, sometimes nights can be difficult for the patient and staffing is a little bit light. So for us, we made that a choice because during the day, there were a lot of people that might stop in and out. Then other things that are important to know is, you know, where is your place for your food and drinks? Um, They have a place, a microwave that you can heat food, a shower. I have found that in several of the hospitals, they actually have a room that they allow for long-term patients that are in there for their family to go. They give you all the linens. They give you your towels. They do that, but you have to know where that is and uh, to kind of get a look at that. We even had a locker at one in Cincinnati, which was nice that I could leave things there. Um, 
I always bring an eye mask and earplugs for spending the night. A good water bottle, you know, at the uh, hospitals, they always have the great ice. And right. it's really important as a caregiver to remember to hydrate. <laughs> yes, I totally agree. And they do have great ice. <laughs> yeah, they're just, you know, that little round crunchy ones. And, you know, it's like, you know, something to do when you have nothing to do but to sit and look and surf the internet and watch yet another thing on TV. <laughs> uh Things people will ask you, like, you know, what can I do? How can I help? I'm always like, be very specific for you. Say, it'd be really nice if you brought me a good salad. Tell them what you like, right? Tell them, you know, a special chocolate or whatever, something that will nurture you. The nurse navigator will list a lot of potential side effects. Usually she lists all these out with these wonderful percentages. You're sitting there taking these crazy notes and you're like going, Oh, 70% of all patients will become nauseous. Well, you know, you really have to ask how nauseous. <laughs> and I think, honestly, this is for the caregiver because when the patient's in the hospital, they're under the best medical care, right? But you don't know what to expect as it's coming along. So it kind of gives you an advanced warning of some things that would happen. Keep in mind, though, they cannot tell you every potential side effect. There's this feeling... You get in and you're like, well, what? I didn't know that he was going to have this condition and it's too overwhelming and they cannot tell you everything because it might not apply to you. And Hunter had uh, this acute graft versus host after both analogous transplants. And when I say analogous, that just simply means that they pulled his own baby stem cells Prior to transplant and part of the treatment, they gave them back to him. So he actually rejected his own stem cells. It's extremely rare. So they didn't even believe it when it happened. Multiple tests had to go on. So just know that the strangest things happen during transplant after the process. And um, that's just what it is. Wow, Tina, that is, that's really interesting. It was coming at you in all directions, I'd say, huh? Yes, for sure. You just don't know what's going to happen and they can't prepare you for everything. No, absolutely. So, Tina, how did you handle visitors at the hospital and trying to keep Hunter's room germ-free and, oh, all the unpleasantries associated with infection? Well, you know, we had kind of a hard, fast rule that absolutely no visitors, if the visitor had any kind of issues, any kind of illness, anything that might even be perceived the patient's counts, they drop really quickly and they are very vulnerable. And it's hard to even imagine how quickly they can become sick. And a lot of people just really aren't aware. I won't say they're doing it in a mean spirit, but they'll say, oh, I just have a sinus infection or geez, my allergies are acting up. My eyes are watering. But honestly, this is just not the time to take any kind of chance like that. And I always bring like extra wipes and I wipe knobs, I wipe remotes, I wipe handrails just a little bit more frequently. They do come in, they do a wonderful job of cleaning the room. And it is important that you kind of tell the cleaning staff when they come in what your expectations are, because they'll often say, can I use bleach? Because that makes some of the patients nauseous. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having them wipe off tray tables or doing that, it is really kind of critical to do it. And some of the unpleasantness that goes on in the hospital, if your patient gets infection, they often get powerful antibiotics. Well, 
powerful antibiotics often lead to diarrhea, and the hospital staff has to treat it as a potential C. diff infection. They come in, suited up in face shield, a full blue coverall. Um, they bring in the poop hat and ask the patient to leave them a sample. It's all standard protocol. And this goes on until they're cleared of that C. diff. So just want to make you aware, some strange things happen, but yet um, that's all part of it. And they also have to treat with high-dose steroids sometimes. And many of you may have probably already experienced someone on steroids. It's the same situation of what they do times five. Um, I often felt like I had to be that mediator between the nurses and Hunter if he was on steroids. He uh, had many valid points, I'll say, but just through the lens of the steroids, they came off like really forceful. So if you have a calming touch with your patient, I encourage small nonverbal communications to start Sometimes I would just come beside the bed and rub his arm. Then I might rephrase his question and ask if that was what he was saying. And just know that, you know, helping your patient to be heard and feel respected in the hospital was a challenge we had to overcome many times. You know, hospitals can be very humiliating places to be. Staff's in a hurry and, you know, they're overworked and lots of needs going on there. So whatever you can do to defuse those situations. Absolutely, Tina. Uh, and, you know, I'm thinking as you're talking to that you guys had to have been in the hospital during some of the pandemic. So you saw hospital staff scrambling, I'm sure, on top of everything else you were going through. For sure. Tina, let's talk about the best ways to communicate with the doctors and nurses as the caregiver during your stay? Well, lots of the doctors round at all different times. So some of my best advice is to find out what a typical schedule is for the rounds and try to be there when they are there. If you miss that rounding time, you know, I would ask a nurse to recap or sometimes I would have to speak to the doctor later. And I tried not to abuse that, tried to accommodate their typical rounding schedule, but sometimes you have to hear the updates yourself, know what's going on, especially if they're sick, if they have fever, if something's going on that, you know, infectious disease is coming. And that's a big um, possibility. If they spike a fever, they send in infectious disease and infectious disease has a whole life of itself. But knowing what the plan is really helps reduce that anxiety. And I also realize that it's really difficult to do this if you're trying to work. And so often Hunter would call me and put the phone on speaker so that I could be in the room, listen to what was being said. If they rounded at 6 a.m. and for whatever reason I couldn't spend the night, then at least I could hear it as I was driving in. And then I would have a chance to be able to ask questions myself. I also think it's really important to like keep a list of questions. And most of the hospitals have a wipe board, uh, write and wipe. And I would bring my own markers and just keep a list of ongoing questions as you have and make your nurse notified that those are the questions you want. If they have a change at 7 a.m. is usually a typical changeover. Tell them to tell the next nursing staff. These are the questions you need answered by the doctors. Tina, that is such a great idea to put the phone on speaker. I just think that's brilliant. We all know that two sets of ears are better than one uh, when a doctor is talking. So, Tina, you worked at keeping things light and playful at the hospital. I just know this about you. Tell us more about how you did this. 
Well, there's lots, lots of ways to keep things light. Um, you know, and we all know that laughter is a great healing salve for you as well as the patient. Um, we were a little extreme on all of this. It also, I would just say, it encourages the medical staff that they like being in your room when you have that kind of an attitude, right? That you're a little, a little whimsical and, and you enjoy hanging out with them. They're just people too, and they want to hang out with you. So when we were at Walter Reed, we had to go in on Halloween to start the stem cell harvest. And I decided I would dress up in my best uh, homemade Wonder Woman outfit and did reverse trick-or-treating. <laughs> I brought candy in and handed it out to everyone. And it just helps diffuse a difficult situation. And let's see, during transplants, we would always pick a theme. And to give honor to your IV pole, give the IV pole a name. Your patient, I mean, they're going to go everywhere with that IV pole for such a long time. One of Hunter's transplants was over Christmas holidays, and we had battery-operated LED lights and a Santa hat, and we took ho-ho everywhere. (laughs) Let's see, the second one was St. Patty's Day. And of course, we had to name the pole Molly, and Molly was decked out in an Irish theme. We brought in all kinds of cupcakes, or I did, uh, Irish car bomb cupcakes for all the nursing staff, and had fun t-shirts like a Guinness a day keeps the doctor away. I had one that was a uh, t-shirt that was said, trust me, I'm a doctor. It was a Dr. Pepper. Good one. So, you know, I just encourage you to... Just keep it light and have humor. It's good for all of us. Other things we did was, you know, the patient can't have fresh flowers. So you have to think about like their hobbies and motivation. So I don't know if they're a sports fan, put a few flags in the room, uh, an animal lover. We'd have printouts sometimes. You can get like an 11 by 14 at Staples for two bucks and, you know, put a picture of his cat in his room when we were at Walter Reed and the kids and grandkids, whoever, photos and handmade cards. It's all a reminder of the why. Because, you know, in the hospital, they always ask you what your goal is. Your goal is to go home, of course, but what is your big why? So it helped us stay focused on that. So it's now time to go home. What was that like? And what are your best tips for a smooth transition? Well, Peggy, I can tell you, honestly, when you are released to go home, it is nerve wracking. I mean, you have this entire staff of highly trained professionals that have been taking care of your loved one for all this time. And then all of a sudden they're like, okay, go home. You got this. And, you know, if you get a temperature of 100.4, just call us. Um, (laughs) So it's nerve wracking. Just start with knowing that you're going to be on edge. An infection can come on very quickly. And I, you know, I really relate to that anxiety that everyone goes through when you do that. Just do your best and accidents happen, mistakes happen, but we're all just doing our best. And I had to kind of look at it and reframe it from my own mind that I'm doing the best I can. If something happens that is catastrophic, I did the best I could because we're not trained professionals, right? Yep. Make sure you have the phone number for the on-call oncologist. I had it in my phone, always ready to go. And you call them and you get their guidance. You just tell them what's going on. Things like um, visitors at home, though, again, you have to kind of go over that. The first 100 days post-transplant are very critical and their immune system is still very low and very much building. They could be neutropenic, meaning a cold could actually take them down. So just know that and be very 
weary of face-to-face. Now, we did things like we would see people on pretty days across the porch. That was fine. Have a porch visit instead of a in-your-house and all of that type of things. We did make some exceptions, I will say, for the grandkids if they weren't cold or fever. I mean, you really have to do this on an individual. It's a balance of risk versus whole health and what I always called as emotional sunshine. You have to have some of that, even though you're going through this horrible experience and difficult, very physically difficult, you have to have a balance of your life. Be vigilant uh, with those wipes <laughs> anywhere the patient might be. Like, again, the light switch covers, the doorknobs, people kind of in and out, right? Anywhere that they might be. My coffee pot, I was constantly wiping that down. Hunter wanted to go get his own coffee. Um, their bathroom, I tried to have him isolated in his own bathroom just from an infection point of view and then just wipe it down once a day. Use those disposable gloves. Those are great for that. Be very careful at home with your food. They will send you home with this, you know, instructions for food and foodborne illness. The most difficult things would be your fresh fruits and vegetables. They've kind of changed the rules over the years on that. But I still, I mean, just from the numbers, lettuce is the number one foodborne illness in the U.S. today, regardless if you're immunocompromised. So I'm really big. I don't care if it's even been triple washed. Do a, a one to five vinegar and water solution for about an hour. Rinse it all off. And that's just kind of good CDC guidelines. So those are probably some of my basic go home ideas. Those are terrific. I love the emotional sunshine. I think I'm going to steal that from you. <laughs> so, Dina, let's talk about some setbacks, which we know are inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get in your mind that once you go home, it's just not your weekly or however many trips you have to have, how frequent back to the doctor. ER visits are highly likely. We had several post-transplant ER visits. Um, a sudden spike in fever. And for Hunter, that would be the Rikers. So his whole body would shake and he'd get chills. I'd be, he'd want six blankets on top of him. And then I'd be like, oh no, here it comes. Within an hour, he would spike a fever of over 100.4 and we're headed to the hospital. And, uh, you know, you call that transplant team. Oh, well. Yeah, it was, it was really tough, right? Sure. <laughs> and discuss those symptoms. And, you know, the person that you call on the on call is not necessarily your oncologist. Don't worry about that either. They're all trained professionals. Just get the information. Often they will have the doctor call you back. Don't panic. Kind of start getting your bag together, get his stuff, which, you know, usually for the patient means find their cell phone charger and do that, <laughs> right? Because they're going to give them everything they need as far as clothes and whatnot. And then when the doctor says you have to go, I always had to tell Hunter, he said we have to go because at home, there's a lot of negotiation that goes on. Oh, give me two Tylenol. I'm only 99. I'm sure it's going to come down. I'm only 100. I'm sure it's going to go down. And, you know, it's a lot of pressure on that caregiver to do the right thing. And I would just have to say the doctor said. So take it off of yourself. Yeah. Good one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and as you get to the ER, be sure you tell even the reception desk, this patient is immunocompromised. They've had a recent transplant. Do everything in your power to get to your hospital that knows transplants. You know, we live an hour plus from the transplant hospital now. And so often he would want to go just up the street to the hospital. And I'm like, they're not qualified. You need to get 
to your hospital. So go there because they have to pull blood work. This is the common protocol. They will pull it from their port and they will also pull the same blood work from their arm. It'll be a peripheral type. And, you know, it's a lot of blood work. We used to call them the Coca-Cola bottles. They would take a ton of it and they're looking for all kinds of infections. They're looking to compare it to see if it's in the port itself. And yeah, Hunter was uh, really afraid of needles. So 12 years and all of the sticking and prodding. So we got a prescription and I encourage anybody, don't make your patient be in pain or have anxiety about being stuck. There's a lidocaine cream that they can get. They can give you by prescription. Put that on the port, put a little piece of press and seal over it. And when we would head to the hospital, we would go for every vein that we thought they might go for. So he'd have it on both arms, lidocaine cream, lots of press and seal over that, put your clothes on and just move on. It makes the whole experience a little less stressful. Other tips, of course, (laughs) I have never been to the ER post-transplant with not at least one overnight stay, typically three to five days. So kind of know for yourself that this is not going to just be a going home time. They'll look and look and look what caused the fever, infectious disease comes, everybody comes, they often don't find it. But make sure that you have your bag ready as well. I keep uh, protein drinks in my bag. I like Fair Life, pick out what you like. I, I keep my chargers, my stuff ready to go. I always have a bag ready to go to the hospital. Other things, trying to think, uh, nosebleeds. We had nosebleeds that we cannot stop. So after a transplant, not only are your white blood count and everything else drop low, but your platelets are extremely low, which means you have no clotting ability. And so a small bleed can get out of control very quickly. Nosebleeds were a common occurrence for us to where we would have to go and they would have to go in and actually cauterize to get them to stop bleeding. Wow. Yeah, it was awful. <laughs> and electric razors are definitely strongly encouraged post-transplant. And why is that, Tina? Is it just cleaner? No, it's it's all the nicks and potentials. You know, Hunter always used a regular, they call it the safety razor, but they have three blades. So any bumps or anything, honestly, my man was not very good with knives. I wouldn't even let him cut anything in the kitchen because, you know, <laughs> we just knew it would end up in a disaster and we'd be running to the ER. I'm like, no, no, I think it was his way of getting out of, you know, cutting his apple up, but that's okay. Oh, these are such great <laughs> tips, Tina. Thank you so much. So now we're going to focus on you for a minute. Caregiving. What did you do to keep yourself healthy and strong? We know you had your bag packed. We, I, I'm just so wowed by you, but let's Talk about how friends can help and how you were able to navigate the caregiving. Well, it was an extremely long journey for us. And um, I think in the middle of it, well, number one, I had a cancer family care counselor just for me. Met with her in person sometimes, but that becomes so difficult that one good thing out of the pandemic was we were able to meet online She since has moved away about four hours from me. We continue to have our weekly sessions. So I really, if you have someone like that, that is specific for cancer family care, they are so helpful. They help you navigate all of these emotions and thoughts. And, you know, you don't feel like the bad guy sometimes. Sure. Yeah. I mean, because sometimes you can really get caught up in, you know, I'm so frustrated and I'm tired and I'm this and I'm that, right? And then you feel guilty about it. You know, it's kind of those standard things that 
everybody's supposed to do for themselves anyway, right? Your diet, your exercise, and your emotional breaks. Being a full-time caregiver, even if you're working, you're still the full-time caregiver and you need to get away a a little bit. Um, When Hunter was in the hospital, I had to know in my mind, and I would think about this, he is in the best care possible. So I would schedule time for myself to go for walks, to do light shopping. Um, You know, in the winter months, I would just walk the hospital and I'm a stair walker. So I'd go up and down the stairs all around, just kind of away from people, but just to exercise is so important. You feel so much better, you know, and I really encourage you to talk to friends and family that are upbeat. You know, you need to laugh and you need to think about life outside of cancer. It's really hard sometimes to realize, but you do not have cancer, right? And if you don't recharge your batteries, um, you're not available to your patient. You're worn out, you're tired, you're frustrated, you feel like you have no life. So I really encourage you to stay with upbeat people that you can laugh with. And of course, we all have those people that we still have to update that are not and they're fearful and whatnot. And I limited my time with that. I might text them what was going on, but you can't take too much of the draining on yourself. Friends and family, for their support, I found it's best to be really specific. Can you come over here? Maybe I would ask and can you sit with Hunter from 10 till 2 while I go do some shopping? Or if you would like their cooking, which you really need to qualify this because you can be inundated with some food. <laughs> uh, you can even suggest, right? You know, if you find something that you like that someone makes, you're like, oh my gosh, it would be awesome if you could make me that chicken noodle soup, right? <laughs> Don't leave it too open because you will get some stuff. That's brilliant. Yeah. Y- you'll get some stuff that you're like, After they leave, you're going to have to feed it to the dog. You know, let's just be honest. (laughs) Not everyone is. Oh, gosh. Right. If you can't have guests at the moment, or if you ask someone to come over or do something, right? Listen, you get a wide berth. If it starts going south at home and it just doesn't work out, you text them, you call them, you leave a message outside, you know, leave the food in the cooler or, hey, we're having a tough day. Thanks for your understanding. And, the truth is people do understand, right? Just be specific in what you ask for and don't feel guilty if you have to cancel on the last minute and somebody's coming over. Oh, this is so, so wise and so true. You're making me think of so many examples of just loving when people would be specific about what you can do, you know, and knowing when it's okay to not do anything and wait for the next opportunity. Oh, Tina. So let's talk about burnout Mm -hmm. because we know that caregivers can experience it and you had a long run. So how did you handle the burnout, if applicable, of course? Yeah, well, I mean, burnout, it's just a natural part of any long-term care, you know, and I, I like to think, you know, I think a lot of us do, if, you know, I'm strong, I can deal with this, I can go on and on forever and, you know, I can put it in its little box, but truth is, You know, you start down this path of resentment sometimes thinking, well, what about me, (laughs) right? If I would do that, I knew I had to get away. For me, respites were really important and I tried to schedule them. I'm a big time hiker, so I would like have somebody come in at nine in the morning, but, you know, maybe I left at 630 and I would drive and go to a place that I love to hike and I would be back by 11, 
You know, you have to have time and you have to think ahead of time. Have people park at your house. For us, it is more like dude care. When I've talked about this before, I mean, Hunter's a pr- he was a proud man. He's not going to have some little old lady from the church come in and sit down there and look at him. That was never going to happen. <laughs> so I had a handyman that he really liked and related to. And I'd be like, oh, I'm going to have him come over and he's going to work on, you know, replacing some boards on the deck or something, you know, dude care. I right? love it. And I would tell him ahead of time, you know, yeah, <laughs> you're looking after Hunter. <laughs> he, he didn't even know it. And you text me or call me. He didn't even know he was having dude care. He just knew that somebody was around that he liked to hang out with. Oh, great. You know, you know, respite care, though, is something that Medicare, Medicaid, you can get that early on. And I encourage everybody before you go into the transplant, look into that. See if you can get respite care. It's like six hours a day, so many days out of a month. And, uh, you know, we were pretty picky. So I would interview. I had people come in. And we kind of like go through the personality check and see what services they offered. They were all RNs, but you know, it's got to be a fit in your home. So, you know, it's just nice to have somebody there that you can relate to, feel safe with, and they're not really, they're they're visiting is how we kind of framed it for Hunter. And they were a trained professional that gave me peace and he could accept it if it gave me peace. Oh, Tina, Mm -hmm. I just think how lucky Hunter was to have you in his life and how lucky we are to have you here today to share all of this. And again, so, so very, very sorry for your loss. Uh, But please know that in Hunter's name, you are helping so many people today and we thank you. Hmm. Is there anything else that you might want to add as we wrap it up today? Well, I, I thank you, Peggy. And I thank you for this opportunity. And, you know, sometimes out of difficulties and tragedy, all you really want to do to help is to help somebody else. So I really hope this was beneficial. Um, I am very thankful to the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link for this opportunity that you gave me to share my ideas today. I am working on a caregiver tips and tricks book and hope to have something out later in 2023. Um, Hunter's Battle caregiver tips and tricks, just something to help maybe others. Thank you again. Yes. And you know what, Tina, we are going to do a podcast about your book and we will feature it and uh, people can have that to look forward to. I think that's fantastic. And anything I can do to help you with, with that amazing project. So thank you again and uh, all the best to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been the Marrow Masters Podcast. If you know someone who would benefit from the information in our show, please share this episode with them. And don't miss future episodes of our show. Follow Marrow Masters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now. And to connect with the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, visit nbmtlink.org or follow the link in our show notes.